special day, a horrible and yet good day, uh, Good Friday. As we celebrate Good Friday together today, um, I'd like to read Peter, Peter the Apostle's interpretation of what happened that day. It comes in 1 Peter 3, chapter, uh, verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Once for all time. Once for all time. That's a big statement to say forever. That means never again, game over, done. What Jesus did was both eternal, and, and yet it started in time by the cross. Let me explain just a little bit um, about grace or once for all time in context. You remember that the Old Testament in our Bibles is about two-thirds of the books of the Bible, all right? And all through those books, you keep hearing about sacrifices, every story, has something that leads to a sacrifice. And, and it really is pointing to the coming of Jesus, um, to the eventual cross of Christ where Jesus said, it is finished. And Peter would eventually write, once for all time, over, done, finished. Now you'd think that I, an event like Good Friday and the crucifixion would just be... Um, magnified or get a lot of press. But no, not in that day. Not in that day. Um, even his disciples and his family members didn't understand what was going on. They thought, here's, here's the Messiah. He's come, and he's going to deliver us, and this will be great. And then it's like it gets turned on its head because here he is in chains and, and being led out, and now he's hung on a cross. What was that all about? And what about his family, his, his half-brothers and sisters and, and his mother? What, what's going on? It just seemed like another Roman execution day out at Golgotha, Calvary. But despite the absence of understanding among his disciples, his family members, the Jewish leaders, there was no megaphone, there was no press report, CNN wasn't there. Um, the Gospel of Matthew records four jaw-dropping events that signaled and pointed to what was happening once for all time. First of all, there was darkness. Matthew 27, 45 through 46 says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God. My God, why have you abandoned me? Now, Jesus had been put on the cross, been nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. Then at noon, there was this inexplainable darkness that just covered that whole area, evidently, of, of all Palestine. Now, typically, darkness isn't something that we necessarily uh, look for or seek or even appreciate. Usually, when I enter a dark room, I try to flip a light on pretty soon or else... With my coordinatedness, I will trip or something. And if I say to you some, something like, you left me in the dark on that one, it means that I, I'm not getting what it is you're saying. I'm confused. 
And when someone might say, you know, man, there's a darkness that just came over me, you kind of feel like, boy, that sounds like depression or something like that. And if some of your little kids went over to a friend's house and perhaps it was their first time there uh, at this new little friend's house and, and the lights weren't on or there was no, there were, the rooms were dark where they wanted to go, I don't think my kids, and I doubt if your kids would say, oh yeah, let's go play in the dark. Uh, no, it's a, it's a little bit freaky and uh, they would want some light. Throughout the Bible, darkness is a metaphor for separation from God. The Bible doesn't mince words. We're all born into this world separated from God because of our sin nature and because of Adam and Eve. We're just like them. We're the, the offspring. No one is righteous, not one, the Bible says. No one of us can kind of figure out our way to get to God through the dark and even make our own way. doesn't work. doesn't work. In those three hours of darkness over Calvary, Jesus revealed the deep love of God by taking the dark sins of the world, yours and mine, onto himself. Jesus experienced spiritual darkness, separation from his Father, so you and I would never have to be separated. It's hard to even imagine that, in a sense, God the Father turned his face away from God the Son. That's why he quoted from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? Now, he wasn't asking that question because it was a question. It was more for us, the listeners, and the recorded word to let us know what was happening. He knew what was happening, and he knew the answer to that question, but he wanted to let us in on what it felt like for him to be, in a sense, abandoned by his father as he was guilt-laden with our sin. During that darkness, the Gospels of John and Luke help us know the very last words of Jesus. It is finished. The meaning? It's completed for all time. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus died. Even though the soldiers pierced, the, pierced his side, Jesus gave up his spirit. He wasn't murdered. He gave up his spirit to die. And at that moment, at 3 p.m., a curtain was torn from top to bottom. A curtain in the temple in Jerusalem. Matthew 27, 51, 50 to 51 says, He released his spirit, and at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, some of you know the Jewish calendar still includes the Day of Atonement and Passover. The Jewish people, especially strict Jews, still observe those two days of sacrifice. They were meant for the atonement of sin. The Day, the day of Atonement, uh, the religious people, the Jewish temple, was the center of religious life for them. And in it was a, a, a larger replica of the tabernacle. You remember in the tabernacle it was just a tent and it had a, an outer court where people sacrificed and then there was an inner, inner court and then there was the Holy of Holies. Well, on a much larger scale, in Jerusalem by this time, there was a, a large, beautiful temple, 
and the Holy of Holies, in front of it was a curtain that was probably four inches thick, and it was probably around 60 feet tall, huge curtain. And it was meant to give um, the Jewish people an understanding that you know, people don't just go trotting into God's presence, as it were. This is the holy God, the creator of the world, totally righteous. And so one time a year, after purifying himself, the high priest would take the blood of an innocent lamb, a perfect lamb, and take it into that room behind the veil and put it on the mercy seat, which was the cover over the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that the Jewish people carried with them all the time with the Ten Commandments in it and so on. Yeah, and so this was, this was evidence of, of something different, that that curtain that separated sinful people from a holy God was split down the middle from above. God split that, that curtain to give us the indication that we could approach. There was a way made through Jesus Christ's blood and sacrifice that we could have personal fellowship and have our sins forgiven. We no longer needed a human priest. We had the high priest, Jesus himself, who took our sins in his own body on the cross. The second special day, besides the Day of Atonement, was the Passover. And you remember the very first Passover came at the end of the ten plagues in Egypt when the uh, Israelites were were still in in slavery for years and years, and uh, there had been ten plagues, but Pharaoh was still hard-hearted, and he wouldn't let the people go. And so God told the Israelites, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a, a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, and I want each family to slaughter that lamb, and I want you to, uh, especially you dads, take a twig or hyssop and, and take the blood and paint over the doorway, all right? And then when the death angel comes over Egypt, when he sees that blood, he will pass over your family. He will pass over your house. That was not so for the Egyptians because they didn't know about this, or if they did, they didn't believe it. And so when that death angel came over Egypt, Hundreds and hundreds of children and offspring of the Egyptians died. And and that was really shocking to them and what helped precipitate. God used it to precipitate their being sent out of Egypt into the promised land. Passover. And even today, Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, still celebrate the Day of Atonement and the Passover. Year after year, people would shed the blood of a spotless lamb, and by faith be forgiven. Then to do it again the next year, and the next year, the lamb's life in exchange for my own. Early in Jesus' ministry, you'll remember that John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A Jewish mind would catch that a lot faster than I would, but he was saying... This is the final and the most appropriate lamb who really does have the power to take away our sin. Not even a helpless lamb, but the real lamb, God himself. And on the cross, God in the flesh shed his blood and he cried out, it is finished. It is finished for all time. 
all that needs to be done to provide salvation for you and me and for anyone, any human being living in our world. All that needed to be done has been paid for by Jesus himself, taking our sins in his own body on the cross. Our sins are atoned for, and we are forgiven. The best news ever, that all are invited into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus alone. Light has overcome the darkness, and as that curtain was torn open by God, there was something else. The earth shook. been in an earthquake or have experienced one, but it can be pretty terrifying, as I'm sure people in Syria would, would tell us today. Uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I lived in Japan, and our kids went to public school there, and not only were there fire drills, there were earthquake drills, because it's very common for the earth to tremble in Japan as an island nation. Yeah, maybe you've had some tremors here in Ohio, but I don't think they're as big as some of the other places. It wasn't a big deal, and that wasn't the point, that they have a big earthquake, but it was something there to show them that when that curtain was torn, there was something happening in the universe, in God's economy. And it wasn't huge, but it was enough to get people's attention. When, when the earth shakes underneath you, and you're used to terra firma, and it's not so firma, <laughs> it's pretty scary. And God was using this to not only scare, but stimulate them to think and figure out what was happening as a result of this person dying on the cross. You know, God has lots of ways to get our attention. He uses beauty like sunrises and sunsets and mountain views, the birth of a baby. But he also uses some negative things sometimes, like a doctor's report the death of a friend or a loved one. Those are all allowed by God to bring our thoughts and our worship back to Him. We were not at Calvary. We didn't feel the earth move. We had a little replica tonight, but, but in a few moments, we're going to hold some bread and a cup, which are, in a sense, meant to shake us up, not emotionally in one sense, but to just remind us again of how serious and how wonderful it is to know that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was enough to cover our sins and to bring us out of darkness and make, make us part of God's family. God made his way to us. That's an earth-shaking, attention-grabbing reality. And if darkness, torn temple curtain, and an earthquake cake weren't enough, look what happened next. Matthew says, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, 
and appeared to many people. Now, Matthew is the only gospel writer that includes this story, and we, we have lots of questions. I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you think, kind of go, what? I, tell me more. Tell me more. And I think the Lord says, you have to wait. I'll explain it to you when you get here. But, yeah. And, and the scholars, you know, debate a little bit about what, when did this happen? How did it happen? You know, did they go out of the graves before Jesus rose, or was it after Jesus rose? And we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, life was restored to some of these people who had died. Maybe you know the famous sermon given years ago by Pastor S.M. Lockridge. It's called, um, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And I'd love to, to listen to that with you sometime. If, if you've never heard it, uh, remember that. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You'd enjoy listening to it. And he, he rhythmically and uh, clearly talks about, he says, Jesus stumbling to the cross, soldiers nailing, forsaken, alone, and dying, world winning, enemy winning, evil grinning. But every time he comes to the end and he says, but it's only Friday and Sunday's coming. The hope of the resurrection we know the, the Friday of pain and hardship, suffering, defeat, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual battles of life. Yeah, we have Fridays, good Fridays, not so good in what it seems like initially, but as we'll find out by sa- Sunday, um, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. At 3 p.m., the curtain opened, and so did tombs as the earth shook, and the bodies of many godly men and women rose from the dead. Why? Why did this happen? To show us that Sunday's coming, to give us hope, to proclaim that death and sin have lost their grip, to show that complete forgiveness is possible through Christ. And in Christ, the light has overcome darkness and has swallowed up death. So Jesus, understanding our ability and tendency to forget, gave us a practical way to remember what happened at the cross. All because of the cross where Jesus died once for all. He's given us this wonderful celebration of his death and resurrection through communion, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And um, as the worship team is going to lead us, and I encourage you to listen to the words of the songs. Let them move you to thanksgiving and worship. Uh, Sometimes the Lord's table can be a time where you think, oh man, I have blown it so many times. Please forgive me, Lord. That's, That's an appropriate prayer at times. But it's also a time of remembering that Jesus is not hesitant to forgive us. He is eager to forgive us because he's paid for our forgiveness by his own death and resurrection. And he loves us that much. In a moment, we're going to ask you to come up and Pastor Todd and I will let you take communion back to your seats. And when you're ready, you may take communion Um, there's the bread and the cup. Jesus' words at the Last Supper, you know well. 
This is my body, Jesus said when he took the bread, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup with the juice. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And can I remind you that there's no person in this room who's not eligible for God's forgiveness, which comes to us through Jesus Christ and his cross. Regardless of what shame or guilt you may feel, and regardless of what you've done or where you've been, just remember who was crucified next to Jesus, the thief. He didn't go through a long litany. He just said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had that much faith, and Jesus saved him. He can forgive you. He can forgive him. Pastor Todd's going to come up and explain how, how we do, do this, uh, having communion together. And um, please feel free to come and then go back to your seats, celebrate, and stay as long as you want to. So uh, the worship team is going to lead us, and we'll sing. And as they 